0: This is Ryan Archie Daff from out to the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia, we represent, and thanks for all the support.
1: fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show, one that I am joined by the Bulls Gold boys, Lim Sutawala and Edward Shuler. Boys, I am so happy you are here to join me today, because there's no way I could be talking about this horrific loss to this first by myself. Uh, my God, what, 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 did you, what did we just watch? We we're literally just recording this straight after the game, but um, I'm still trying to post this at all to the point where... I'm not even mad. I'm like kind of amused and find this very, very funny to me at this point. But maybe as the hours wear on, I'll start to get a little bit more angry, or perhaps that'll even happen during the, this recording of this show. But um I don't know how to feel about it, guys. But where are your minds at at this point?
0: Yeah, for me, uh, we were just talking about on our last show about the uh, worst Bulls moments that we've experienced, and I mentioned the yeah. Sacramento Kings. Uh, <laughs> comeback back from 2009, where they yep. came back from a uh, the Kings came back from a 35 point win, a uh, 35 point uh, deficit to win that game, and this brought back flashbacks. And I, I, I'm watching this game, and I, I fully expected the Bulls to win, but it, it felt like San Antonio just kept hanging in there. They just kept staying around, like around 15, around 14, or like they just kept just hanging in there enough and. I mean, after a little while, you just see that they're within double or they're within single digits, and it just didn't seem like the Bulls really had much of an answer to the adjustments that uh, Greg Popovich made. So, I mean, like you, I'm kind of at a loss for words and just kind of all over the place and just kind of stumbling for uh, answers to what really happened. But it, it, I mean, it, it's disappointing to say the least, and I think this game in particular could have significant consequences in terms of what the bulls decide to do at the trade deadline. So it, it there's a lot that can happen I think with this game. It, it's 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 not the proudest moment and for a season where so much optimism has uh developed and you know we we feel a lot better about this team than we have in the past, this kind of brings you back to those low points that we had like last season or a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, a lot of what Edward said, I completely agree with. And you're just looking at this game and a lot of the same issues that we've seen and we've openly complained about and worried about and wondered about. You kind of saw happen here again. And before we started recording us talking to you, Mark, saying like, this is probably like the third time I feel like a team has really done that, like that full court press where the, the, the young guys just have no answers for. They get very, you know, uncomfortable, disjointed, uh, have ball movement stops, everything just stops. And obviously, it doesn't help when Billy has some of these goofy lineups out there. Uh, he hit, for a little bit, he had that stretch where he had the old starting group out together that struggles. And then he brought in Otto, who, again, Otto has just been pretty much, you know, not good since he's come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was just kind of like, you know, you're bringing in a player that is not really going to help us do anything. You probably should bring in Thad at that point uh, to try to maybe Thad can come in and, and get these guys calmed down a little bit. But, yeah, it's just kind of the same old thing you see with this team all season and I know we don't criticize Billy a lot this season, obviously, just because for the longest time we were in a honeymoon period because of the Jim Boylan era uh being you know tortured in that toxic environment with him. but you're kind of seeing some of the flaws that Billy has too as a coach uh potentially I mean those are some of my thoughts, and I'm kind of like going all over, but yeah, just just
1: my thoughts right now that's i'm i'm that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think that's all fair, and uh, I don't want to say this loss is entirely on Billy Donovan because I don't think that would be fair. Because you know, even players like Zach Levine and Thad Young, when pressed in that fourth quarter, were just making very questionable decisions. So, uh, yeah, it's not entirely on Billy Donovan, but over the last week and even beyond the last week, to be fair, the last few weeks. I kind of have been critical about his rotations. I I was calling for a rotational change, starting lineup change, all that sort of stuff. And we obviously saw that happen earlier in the week against the Raptors. Uh, and, and you know that that bore out a good result, all being against a depleted Raptors team. They come back a few nights later, get another win, albeit again another depleted team or a team that wasn't at a full a full strength, let's say. So, you know, where you going to? put a lot of stock into that game, I'm not too sure, whereas tonight, like, up 20-odd points against the Spurs, who, a Spurs team who is still, like, missing DeMar DeRozan, but at the same time still a very good Spurs team, or, or a competent Spurs team, and the Bulls were up 23 in this game, and they were, they were looking very professional, looking very good, and I was, I was thinking, you know, this, this should be another easy win, but the minute the adjustments came through, and this is where I kind of do put some blame on Billy Donovan, like, the Bulls didn't adjust at all to Greg Popovich's uh, adjustments, which was essentially pressing the ball and pressing the hell out of the Bulls. And that was a really good adjustment by Pop because the Bulls just don't have a lot of ton of – they just don't have much playmaking all all over the court, but more generally, particularly in the backcourt. So it kind of felt like in the midway through that third quarter towards the back end of that third quarter to the start of that fourth quarter where the team was essentially running out that second unit, which, you know, For a large chunk there, essentially just comprised of Wendell Carter, Kobe White, Ryan Archidiak, you know, Otto Porter, as you mentioned, Salim, and then, you know, maybe maybe Ransky was in there for a bit. Maybe Patrick Williams was in there for a bit. But I I don't know how you can play this game or you can see this game sort of start slipping away and leave those guys out there for an extended run. I also don't know how you can sort of come back in you know, towards the back end of the game where things are getting tight, you've already lost the lead. And at that point, you you take out Sato Ranci for Kobe White, a player who, you know, in the previous 12 minutes he was playing was very erratic and was making a lot of bad decisions. So, like, to me, this was a game where you had to just cull your rotation back to, you know, eight guys, eight and a half guys. Like, Ryan Archidiakno should not have been playing in the fourth quarter. Kobe White probably shouldn't come back into that game. You need to stagger the minutes of... Thad Young and Zach Levine a lot better to make sure that you have one of those guys on the court at all times if you can. And just that uh, that way you can avoid these lineups where you've essentially got entire bench, u- bench units out there. And the Spurs are a really deep team to the point where their bench unit is actually pretty damn good. So, I don't know. Like I, like I said, I don't want to put this all on coaching, but Billy's rotational choices over the last week Two weeks, three weeks has been uh, questionable in my mind, at least. I don't know if you would agree with that, Edward. But um, again, uh, maybe we're still in the honeymoon phase. But obviously, he's better than Portland. But um, there's been some things that have worried me a little bit, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I think the criticism about Billy Donovan is fair. At the same time, when I, when you, when you watch this team, like consistently, it just feels like you're not getting much. You don't know what to expect out of his team on a night-to-night basis outside of Thad and Zach Levine. And you look at what – I mean, you just look at the box score from today and, you know, Lowry Markman plays 33 minutes, gives you 10.7 boards. And that just kind of shows you the downfall of his game where if he's not making shots, what else is he giving you? But he, But he played 33 minutes. So he was on the court for the majority of the game. And Tomas Sadoransky, I mean, I I like what Sadoransky does as a passer. But, I mean, even then, he's not going to give you much scoring-wise. And then, I mean, Mm -hmm. Patrick Williams had a pretty solid game, I think, 10 points, uh, 14 rebounds. But then, outside of that, you just get so much mixed production. It's just not a guarantee from night to night. So it's not a surprise because we knew what this team was coming into the season in terms of the flaws and this season just kind of confirms those and makes it easier, I think, for the front office to make future moves. But it, it's just, it's just so hard to really find a solution for this team to really win consistently. I, I think making the change and moving Kobe White and Wendell Carter Jr. to the bench, I, I think that's a logical move. But I, I think in a sense, it's almost like, Kind of kicking the can a little bit because mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, yeah, there's it, not really a whole lot you can do here. So it, it's just, it's unfortunate, but yeah, like I said, I, I think the criticism of Donovan and his rotations, they're definitely warranted. I think. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. I mean, this felt
1: like a game where they very much missed Garrett Temple. Like if Garrett Temple could have been taking those Archie Diakno or or White or Denzel Valentine. I mean, Valentine did even play in the second half. I can't remember him if he did. He was very bad in the first half, so that's probably why he didn't play. But yeah, I, I certainly take your point that he, you know, Donovan, that is, is limited by this, this team and you know, he probably only has a you know, beyond Thad and Zach, he doesn't really have a consistent rotational guys that he can maybe consistently count on every single night. And you know, maybe you can put in Williams and Sadovansky in that next tier, maybe Larry too. But you know, they'll have one good game, uh, another bad game thereafter. But I don't know, Salim. Like, it, in terms of this rotational change, this starting lineup change, like, what message does that send to you from Donovan, from AK? about this squad moving forward. I mean, I want to talk about the trade deadline coming up given that we're essentially a week away and maybe after this game it feels more relevant as to, as to what they should or shouldn't be doing. But, I mean, you couple this loss with those really bad losses to the Sixers and Heat. And, and I guess that's the issue. Like, that that's, that Sixers game should have been a win. This Spurs game should have been a win. And if it was, just like with basic execution, the Bulls are at 500 right now, but, you know, poor... poor Poor games has left them being, you know, sitting on the outside at the moment, still within a a play-in reach. But I don't know, Salim, like, in terms of this rotational change, the fact that, you know, Edward touched on there, like, Lowry has been not so great the last few games, was bad today against the Spurs. We obviously know Wendell and Kobe have been benched. I mean, what what does this say about this this young core? If we want to even call it a young core, I'm not sure we can anymore. But uh, h- how do we move forward with those guys going or going forward given given the issues with the rotation?
2: Yeah, you, you talk about Larry, I and mean, you and you and Edward touched on his lack of production today because he just doesn't make his shots. But also on top of that, it's he's so dependent on the system and you know guys setting him up when you see a defense is clamped down on the bulls you kind of see that ball movement stop and then he can't really do anything for himself so he becomes kind of just like a spectator out there uh that that right there it shows you the flaws in Larry where yeah it's it's all rosy and great when he's you know hitting the open threes and that is finding him, you know, backdoor cut a little bit to the basket, but when the, when the defense wants to take him out, this happened against the Knicks too. Remember when, uh, before he got hurt, when we played the Knicks back to back, Tibbs knew what to expect the next game and just completely took Larry out of the Bulls offense. So, yeah. so, in that sense, when you talk about the trade deadline coming up. I, I've been one of the most Roko people and I know you have as well and Edward's kind of been on the same page overall that the Bulls should look to move him. Uh we look at the glaring holes on this team. It's need an, a vet another veteran ball handler or just somebody I mean, doesn't have to be a veteran, I we talk about Lonzo Ball, he's technically not a veteran, but I mean somebody that you can take up a little bit of the ball handling, do some playmaking. Obviously, you're also looking at maybe a wing. I don't know. Houston looks like they're wholesaling. Could you steal somebody from them? I don't know. But th- those are the glaring issues. And with Wendell and Kobe, it makes sense that they took, they made that switch because again, it is showing that they're trying to win. I think Wendell maybe just needed that little boost for himself to try to. I, I know he talked about he had some personal things he had, he was working with, dealing with. Um he was really down on himself. I think that did help him a little bit to try to get that pressure off his back. Kobe, like you said, he just at times he's just unplayable and he's the biggest issue as far as when I when you look at this team, um when you it's concerns about playmaking and having a guy out there that can really, you know, take the reins of the offense. So yeah, I mean when you look at all these issues you you have to hope that the Bulls can address something at the trade deadline to improve uh,
1: the the holes that are there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, of the of the players that matter, let's say. So I'm I'm not including Denzel Valentine. I'm not including rtd D'Acquino you know, because those guys don't really matter. And I I would be very surprised if they're back next season. But based on the guys that matter, I mean, Kobe White right now is the worst player in the rotation. I know what his numbers are and all that sort of stuff. I understand that he gets a lot of opportunities, but you know the fact that he has those opportunities and struggles at times like he's probably the worst player in the rotation right now especially on the defensive side of the ball but this was an interesting Lowry game in this sense as well like i don't mind like his offense is fine. Like I understand, players will have bad offensive nights. We all we all know that Larry's a player that takes the majority of his shots from three. I mean, he had ten ten field goal field goal attempts in this game. Six of those were three point from the three point line, which is essentially his three point rating the season. Basically, sixty percent is what he averages from a field goal to a three point ratio. So you know his offense is what what his offense is. But I guess the concerning part for me was he was playing center tonight. He got absolutely owned by Jakob Pertl. But like you mentioned to him on offense, like the, the Spurs were just running guards on him and taking him out like that way. And that's the way you can you can really stop Larry Markman Like, yes, he can get out there and get open and, and spot up for those three-point attempts when you're getting those mismatches on those bigger lumbering, uh, big men who can't necessarily get out to his three-point shot. But when you've got like Keldon Johnson and Derek White sort of switching on on the uh, on the coverage on Larry Markman, and you're basically putting a six foot four, six foot five guard, or six foot six forward on Larry, and those guys can easily stay with him from a speed point of view, can get out to his jumper. Like his offense just goes away entirely. So, yeah, this was a really interesting game from Larry in the sense, like all the, all the flaws that we had or concerns that we have about a player like Larry were very much on evident, like were evident on both sides of the ball. Like how easy he is, to, he is to take out on the offensive side, and then on defense, obviously you just can't play him at center because he will get owned. So, in in that sense, like I mean, the the ideal, like in my mind, I'm like yeah, let's let's get rid of Larry. Let's, let's get let's get rid of Kobe White, let's get rid of these failed younger guys, and let's bring in some veterans. But I mean. At the same time, we're trashing these guys, and you're hoping you can maybe move them in a trade for some some better players. But is it realistic to even move someone like Lowry or Kobe or even Wendell for a for a decent veteran that can shore up this roster and, and make it a little bit more um, competitive, let's say?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't look to move necessarily Kobe or Wendell yet because they, are, I mean, they are still under contract. Maybe you can sell develop them into being a, you know, Kobe can still maybe be that bench scorer eventually if you get um, an actual starting point guard or just somebody starting that can initiate offense. Um, But outside of that, like, yeah, I'm just looking at, like, Lari for sure to see if you can move him because I still worry about the contract that he'll get in the offseason. And maybe there's something you can flip for Felicio in a second. I don't know. Those are those are the type of trades I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough thinking of these. Like Lonzo Ball has obviously been the most popular guy, but games like these definitely make you want to get another veteran somehow because you're just tired of relying on young players making so many mistakes. And it's not like young players are. It's not like you're just tossing like one player, uh, one young player into the game and he's just making a mistake in veteran lineups. You're having all of these guys making mistakes at the same time in the same lineups. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. really, really hard to do, even if you're trying to develop and evaluate because Billy Donovan at this point is definitely making it clear that, Hey, he wants to win some basketball games. So it, it would be nice to find some type of like a, a veteran who's kind of on the younger side, I don't know who that player is, but it would be nice to find someone like that who's affordable, who can maybe stick with the team next year and can help you play some lineups that, you know, uh, prevent you from playing so many young guys. But uh, overall, I I really think that a game like this, not only does it reinforce the need for quality veterans, but it, it just reinforces, like man at one point we were <laughs> we were really thinking that a core of these young players could really like be a force one day and this just shows you like mm, that was never really happening because if you're losing games like this it's just like that that was never a thing <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I certainly I certainly feel that. I, I guess the name I've been thinking about lately, lately, just based on his availability seemingly being a thing, is Aaron Gordon, who is still youngish, like you sort of mentioned there, Edward. I think he was, what, like 25, 26, similar age to Zach. A veteran at this point, clearly needs to change of scenery. Like, if there's a way you can package Larry and Felicio if you need to attach some sort of pick for it, I don't know. But, like, he's under contract on a reasonable contract, a very good contract even. Like, can we do something like that? That that would be interesting to me. But, yeah, I certainly take your point. But, like, this is one of those games where I understand why those that are, are crying out to, you know, trade guys like that, Sadoransky, temple, Otto, whatever it might be, like to really shore up your your draft assets. Like I understand like why where that logic comes from after a game like this, but I almost doubled down on, on my opposite take, which is, you know, this is a game where I don't want to be adding or playing the draft game anymore and taking more chances on some young guys or young picks that may or may not eventuate based on what we've seen over the last three or four years and especially with Levine's situation, the fact that he can be an unrestricted free agent after this season, like, I don't, like, this, a loss, like, this almost makes me want to, like, double down on go for the veteran type thing, and that isn't to say for, you know, go for a 35-year-old, another 34-year-old here, like, I'm not saying that the Bulls should go after, like, Marcus Aldridge or anything like that, but, like, can we get in some players that just know how to play basketball, and we're not necessarily relying on, you know, another draft pick in the hope that he can sort of you know, get us out of this mess type thing because we've seen what can happen over the last three or four years and I think it's far more likely that the Bulls draft, you know, another version of Lowry or Kobe or Wendell, not obviously not the same skill set but, like, in terms of level of player versus, you know, finding some, you know, some option that really propels this team out of where they're sort of fixed at this point. So, I, again, I don't know what you guys think on this but, like, it's, these sorts of games almost make me think more about doubling down on trading and getting rid of all these young guys and trying to get as many established guys in as he can, as quick as he can.
0: Let's bring up a team like Miami, for instance. Like Miami of yeah. last year that had uh, young players like uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. Uh, I might be forgetting someone else. But then they also had these veterans, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, uh Again, I'm forgetting some players, but they just had a nice mix of veterans and young players. And the veterans created this safety net for these young players to succeed where they didn't have to roll out all of these youth movement lineups. They could put in three or four veterans with a young player and take the pressure off that young guy to succeed. Like they weren't putting Tyler hero in a lineup and saying, okay, Tyler hero, go out and get me 25 and win this game. They're saying, yo, put Tyler hero in this lineup where he can be the third or fourth option. And then he can just kill you that way. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that the bulls do need to start like acquiring veterans and guys who can produce now. Like this isn't, this isn't really a situation where granted, I, I would love to have Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, or whoever from this draft, but that's probably not that realistic right now. Nah, so, I, yeah. I, yeah, like, I, I would like to have some veterans who can play and who can, you know, make Zach Levine's life easier, who could make Patrick Williams' life easier. Like, we have plenty of young guys, I think. Granted, they're flawed, but I, I don't think we're in the stage anymore where we're we just need to be like, okay – Let's just keep collecting young guys, keep giving them years to make mistakes, whatever, whatever, because right now we have a legitimate all star in Zach Levine who is just turned uh, 26. So there's a nice window to compete with him, and I think you just need to find those players who you can do that with.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the Heat, which is a very good example, but I mean, even the, the opponent that we face tonight, like the Spurs, like. They've got the young set of guys, so you've got your Derek Whites, you've got obviously DeJounte Murray, Calden Johnson, who else am I forgetting from their team tonight? I mean, Devin Vassell played a bit, uh, Lonnie Walker. Like, that's five youngish guys or guys that, you know, have anywhere between between sort of one to five years of NBA experience. Even Yaka Perdle if you want to throw him in there too. But then they sort of complement those guys with um, Paddy Mills. DeMar DeRozan didn't play tonight, but he's obviously been been a fixture of this team for the entire season. Uh, Rudy Gay, previously LaMarcus Marcus Aldridge, not necessarily much now, but like they sort of complemented those younger pieces that they were growing and fostering with some good veterans that obviously played in a very smart organization, and that sort of has helped these guys develop. Like I, I don't know if. Derek White, is Derek White if he's drafted into a different organization or Calvin Johnson if he goes to somewhere where he's playing with, you know, three, four, five other young guys in rotations and you're expecting them to somehow click and understand how to play basketball. Like, I I kind of think that's forward thinking as well. But I mean, we've already touched on it, but like this next week of basketball. I, it kind of feels dramatic in saying like it's going to shape the rest of the season, but it, it realistically can. I mean, they've got four more games before the trade deadline. We just got done with the Spurs game, but on Saturday or Friday evening your time, Saturday afternoon my time, the Bulls are at the Nuggets. Then they've got Detroit on Sunday, followed by games against uh, the Utah Jazz on Monday and then the Cavs on Wednesday. That Cavs game is the last game prior to the trade deadline. We saw a few trades happen today, so the NBA teams are starting to already hit hitting the button on those trades. But uh, I mean, Salim, if the Bulls lose to the Nuggets, if they I'm a assuming they're going to drop a game to the Jazz, but if they lose one of these games to the Pistons or Cavs, like is will there be any justifiable reasons for, you know, AK sitting on his hands here and doing nothing at the deadline, whether it's a blow it up approach or trying to add pieces to win now? Like, if they drop if they go if they only win one, one of the next four, like, can he can he be justified at all if he does nothing at the deadline?
2: I mean, it depends. It always depends on what's available. And w- the biggest thing we've heard right now is a lot of teams aren't selling because of that play-in game. So that that obstacle is, is there. That could make it maybe justifiable, more so the wins and losses. I mean, what what's actually more annoying to think about, though, is – if you go into the next four games, you can technically, after Cavs, be in the same position that we are in right now. thats I mean, it's kind of annoying if you think about it because then you're not really, you didn't really, you know, move forward. You didn't move backwards. You're just who you are. And then if you don't add anyone and say, like, okay, now what are we just going to keep playing this back and forth game for the rest of the season, which, I mean, might not happen because I think the schedule does get harder. But, and and to the earlier point, about tanking and trying to sell off pieces or, or trying to not make the playoffs. It's, we're just too far ahead in the standings as far as trying to really make up any ground to get enough lottery balls to, to really make a difference there. So you're, you're hoping for luck no matter what, like a really lucky draw. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd hope that a team ends up kind of folding saying, you know, like next, Wednesday or Thursday morning a team just like you know what we we don't have any shot at getting in the playoffs playing even i know the bulls are calling us let's see if they're still interested that's honestly that's the only thing i'm hoping for right now
1: yeah i certainly see that but like even like forecasting down the road let, let me read you this schedule this is these are the first 9 games the bulls have post the trade deadline so at spurs <laughs> At Warriors, at Phoenix, at Utah Jazz, then back home to play the Brooklyn Nets before going on another four-game road trip, at the Pacers, at the Hawks, at the Timberwolves, at the Grizzlies. So after the deadline, you've got probably five games in a row, which you know they're, they're, they're playoff teams essentially. I'm not expecting a good record there. Then you've got you know some more, more winnable games against some more uh, relatively similar teams, but they're on the road, so who knows how they sort of go? But I don't know. Like, they, it, it, I, I, we We're talking about this four-game stretch here, maybe determining what they, did, they do at the deadline, but it might even be those nine or so games after the deadline as to what the Bulls could try to think about doing as well or how they shape themselves at the deadline. But, look, you definitely make a good point that, that the Bulls' ability to do anything at the deadline is kind of... I mean, they can play their own part, they can make their own luck, but at the same time, if they want to be buyers, it's going to be tough, given that there's going to be a lot of teams trying to do the same thing, I would imagine. A lot of contending teams, like we saw the Bucks earlier today pick up P.J. Tucker. I'm sure there's going to be other teams like the Heat that may, may be interested in, like the LaMarcus Aldridge. What are the Lakers going to do? What are the Sixers going to do? Are the Nets going to find another player? But then you've got other fringe playoff teams or you know those those teams there are just under, like the Celtics. What are the Celtics going to do? Like, there's going to be a lot of buyers, a lot of teams that are going to try and sneak into that playoff point of view where unfortunately like I do understand why people see this team as a good selling option and I, I just don't know what AK feels like. I mean, he made that comment around there being some delusional playoff teams and he obviously wasn't necessarily uh, inferring what the Bulls were or weren't or how he sort of thought about that, but... I don't know. Are we being delusional in, in thinking that even adding one or two vets really changes the changes the landscape of this team into into something more? I don't know. Like, it, it's weird. Fandom is fickle. I mean, I, I, I've been one of the king guys in terms of, uh, or one of the leading voices. Let's say in terms of like, keep that, keep all the vets, all this sort of stuff. But it's, it's games like this, games against the Sixers, games against the Heat, where uh, you just start, you just you just start questioning your resistance more, uh, more holistically.
2: We're talking about like a guy like Temple making a big difference and realistically he would. Like he would have helped today with the full court press. Another guy that can handle the ball that probably make better decisions than Kobe, at least. Um you know, he's a better defender, he's not obviously his shooting is a little streaky, but at least he you can consider him a two way guy. Um and, and and Temple is more of what, like a tenth guy and Normally 10th guy on a, on a Like a really good team Yeah so that. If, if that guy makes a difference Obviously if you're adding Another decent pl- Piece even like another sadransky p- Type of piece who's probably like a 7th or 8th guy That could make a difference too just because You have an, another release valve When uh, one of these Other guys who are just like have not given you Absolutely
1: anything you can put In the game yeah, no, that's, that's all fair as well. But, um, yeah, I, I try not to be too emotive about this situ- these sorts of things. Like, I try to be as uh, level-headed as I can be. But, like I said, lo- losses like this get get at me sometimes. But, um, fellas, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer given this nonsense that we just witnessed <laughs> and maybe this nonsense that we're going to sort of ensue over the next week. I think it's going to be an interesting time to be a Bulls fan. I think the uh, the takes will be flying no matter what happens. Uh, I think it's going to be a, an interesting week or so, but uh, I'll let you guys get away. Maybe we can find something more productive to do than be thinking or talking about this stupid basketball team at times because, uh, yeah, they can be tough to deal with. But, uh, look, I appreciate you guys coming on and doing this little crossover pod with me. I, I wish we could have done it on... um. On better terms, let's say, I was looking forward to talking about a three-game winning streak, but um, lo and behold, we we couldn't have that. But uh, tell the people where they can follow you online. I'm sure they already know if they're tuning into Bulls HQ. They know where to where grab you guys on Twitter and Bulls Gold and all that sort of stuff. But in the event they do,
0: I don't rather. Tell them where they can. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow <laughs> us at Bulls Gold on Twitter. You can catch us. Uh, every Tuesday, 9, 8 central on Nothing But Net Radio, which is on Dash Radio. And, uh, yeah, me and Celine, we're always having a lot of really good guests. We're always having a lot of really good conversation, and we're agonizing about the same things you do. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this bull scene can make us uh, lose our minds, but we, we've been fortunate this season because it, it it's been more good than bad, at least, but even though these yeah. games are definitely going to stick out, but uh, yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at BullsGo, check us out on Nothing But Net Radio, and uh, yeah, it's been great to uh, be here on Bulls HQ with you, Mark. No, no no problem. I'm
1: happy to have you guys anytime. Like I said, uh, I wish I could have been on... Yeah, I, I wish we could have been talking about a three-game winning streak, maybe hyping ourselves to get this Nuggets game. Maybe if we got that one, we would have been close to 500, talking ourselves into that and all that sort of nonsense, but uh it is what it is, but yeah. Let me say though, I, I really enjoyed the. Well, I enjoy all your episodes, but I enjoyed the the last one that you guys did where you know you had guilty on, Vince on, D Boy. That that was fun to listen to. So uh, that that was a cool episode, and shout out to all those guys as well. But yeah, keep got, keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh I'll be obviously tuning in and uh, Bulls HQ listeners, if for whatever reason you're not following Salim or Edward or Bulls Gold, then uh, what the hell are you doing, folks? Go correct that as soon as you can. But that just about does it on this episode of Bulls HQ. Whilst you're out there following Salim, Edward, Bulls Gold, etc., you can hit me up on Twitter too, at MKHoops. Follow Bulls HQ there too, at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to come be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, or channel or whatever the hell it's called just send me a DM on Twitter at MKHoobs but like I said that's about all for this episode of the show we don't want to talk about the Bulls anymore because the Bulls are annoying and hopefully um, hopefully next time we do though we, they, uh, we're talking about some W's but like I read off on that uh, like I read the schedule before maybe that's not the case but uh, nonetheless thank you for tuning in we, we do appreciate it thanks again to Edward and Salim and we'll be back on Bulls HQ very soon